You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, I'm your host, Lauren Lee Chen, and we're back this week with another interview episode. For this week's guest, we've brought back someone you know and love, friend of the show, Zach Weiss, host of the Across the Cavs podcast, to discuss Cleveland's sustained success and get his opinion on the selection announcements for the festivities at All-Star Weekend. And as always, when we have Zach on, expect the unexpected as yet again, breaking news drops while we record the show. Enjoy. Hey, Zach, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again today. Yeah, Lauren, great to be here. I'm honored that I get a second opportunity to come back and uh, talk NBA. I loved it the first time and uh, I'm excited to be back with you. Yeah, and a lot of stuff going on in Cavs world recently. Uh, biggest news, I think, of last week was the All-Star selections being announced. Darius Garland, officially named to his first All-Star game, representing the Cavs. He averaged better than 20 and 10 over the course of January and established himself, especially with the Cavs doing so well in the month. Uh, in general, any surprise on your end around the All-Star selections and then specifically about Garland? What do you think made him stand out? as a reserve selection over, let's say, other guards like uh, Drew Holiday, LaMelo Ball, or others that didn't make the team? Yeah, so first, shout out Fred Van Vliet, the fourth undrafted all-star in NBA history. I've been a fan of his for a good few years. I liked him in college. It's too bad his, his old backcourt mate Ron Baker had no NBA success, so he's pretty much doing it for the two of them together. But, I mean, in terms of Darius Garland, I think this is fantastic because he's the first – I don't even need to, to, to fact check this. He's the first Cavs all-star to make it, having zero games played with LeBron since Big Z made his first appearance with the Cavs. Probably have to go back two decades to the early 2000s. And so I think it's a really big deal to show, hey, King's not here anymore. Sure, he's everywhere in this city. He got them the championship. He kept them relevant twice over 11 years uh, between 03 and 18. And Garland's all-star selection basically says, yeah, we're hosting the game. We got players in the game. We are real. And he's been great all season, even on his off nights. If he has six or seven turnovers, it happens. He has a lot of responsibility. He's still racking up the points. He's racking up the assists. If he's not shooting it well, then he's, he's still getting enough attention to get other guys open. He's been hitting shots all year. Half had a couple injury woes. Hats had some back issues in the month of February. So hopefully he's able to get back on the court soon. But it's so great that he got in. You know, in terms of who he made it over, the big thing with Lamella Ball is probably the system. The fact that Charlotte is winning, but not at the same clip, hurt Lamello's case. In terms of Drew Holiday, they got Middleton in. They're not as good. They're not good enough to have three All-Stars this year. I mean, I'm honestly surprised Jimmy Butler even got in with how many games he missed. I'm very surprised that Wiggins got in as a starter, and I'm kind of bummed that Anthony Edwards now doesn't get to make it. But 
you know, there's replacements coming in on both sides, which I'm sure we'll talk about with Draymond and KD, both not playing in the All-Star game. Um, Drew will get another chance, but the big thing for me, Lauren, Garland's been great, and he's the first non-LeBron All-Star since Big Z. And so just to see that, to see him in his third year, he just turned 22. He'd be a senior at Vandy right now if we were in a different time period where guys don't come out after one year for for the bag and for the opportunity and for the extra years and the pros that they're granted. I, I really love his value and he's been a joy to watch all season. You touched upon it a little bit. We're recording before Sunday's game here where Garland is listed as questionable against the Pacers. He's missed the last three games with lower back soreness. Um, any level of concern there from you? Well, I'll say this, you know, he's not Hercules. Shouldn't have to carry a whole city on his back to the point where he starts to get back pain. But on an actual note, uh, puns aside, I think I'd love it. If he didn't have this, I just think, I don't know what, what it stems from. I remember the only back things, like guys you worry about, Michael Porter Jr., he's got chronic back issues. They paid him the bag. And now with the I think with the new deal, the a higher payroll coming, he's going to get even more for doing nothing, pretty much. No disrespect to him. I just think that it was a risk to pay him in the first place. I mean, Steve Nash had to pretty much retire because he threw out his back carrying a uh, suitcase of his luggage in the airport. Garland's not Steve Nash. He wasn't 40. He's only 22. Hopefully it's not consistent. I, again, I don't know what it stems from. I, don't, I believe it happened on the court. So I'm not concerned right now. I mean, they've won two games in his absence, amazingly. Hopefully it can be three. You know, by the time uh, folks are, are able to hear this uh, when they do. But I'm not too concerned. I'd be concerned if anything else comes up. Because at his age, I don't worry about back being consistent because he has no history with it. But let, let's uh, let's hope he gets healthy soon. Like in place in this Pacers game too. But if he doesn't... The next one's Wednesday, and there's he's obviously not going anywhere, so he should play Wednesday. Other Cavs might sit Wednesday with the trade deadline the next day just to be safe, but Garland will hopefully be on the court. I'm not too worried. Yeah, and back to the All-Star discussion, as you said, maybe it would have been difficult in such a crowded Eastern Conference landscape to have two representatives from the Cavs, even despite how well they're doing. Uh, you got one one from Toronto, one from Miami, one from Boston. So you do sort of spread the love around. But many were hoping or expecting that Jared Allen would make his first all-star appearance as well. And he still very well could uh, if he's named as the injury replacement for Kevin Durant. Do you think when the first batch of all-star reserves were announced and he, his name wasn't among them, it was because of that, uh, you know, essentially one representative from the Cavs type of idea? Well, I'll say this. It's very hard for centers because you have your superstar bigs and each conference you automatically have the West. It's impossible. Thank goodness he's in the East because you got Cat, you got Rudy, and you got Jokic. On the other side, you know, you, you don't have as much. But like Nikola Vucevic, for example, mm-hmm. the Bulls are slightly better than the Cavs. Plus, he has better numbers but didn't make it. You know, he's had seasons where he's been great. Like 2019-20, he averaged 20-11 and, and didn't make it. And then last year, 
I mean, he averaged the same numbers the year before and made it. I, I, I don't understand. It's very hard for bigs. I think Allen didn't get in. So there could be a couple factors. He hadn't been playing as well of late. I hadn't noticed it watching his his drop-off as much as some other folks he'll talk to. But it was there. It was slight. And, I mean, look, look at his numbers. They're great. He's averaging 16 and 11, two assists, one block. But what's different between him doing it and other bigs? Because if he was a scorer, Mason Plumley might have the same numbers. Now what differentiates them? Think about Jared Allen. He's a big play guy. He'll dunk on you. He'll block you. Not only will he throw down lobs, he'll also assist on them. He gets two assists a game, which is great for a guy at his position and the role he plays. And I think the big the big drop-offs come with Lowry Markinen being out. Him and Mobley have had to do more, as good as Kevin Love has been. He's a different type of big. He's not seven feet, pretty much is how we can say it. And so you look at things. I think he has a great chance at the reserve spot. Now, after having dropped 29 and 22 on the Hornets, he had 13 and 9 in the first quarter. The rest of the team, I believe, had nine points and seven rebounds the rest of the quarter. He did everything. He's a beast. He's been asked to do a lot. And I just think it's a little fatigue sometimes from the minutes he's played. Now, 33 a game is a lot for a center, even at his age. And I don't think it's an issue and it's not an injury concern, but I think it's a fatigue thing. Because in Brooklyn, he was never playing more than 26, 27. Six minutes a night over the course of a season is an extra five, 600 minutes. Or so I think he has a chance. I just think it was hard in the East. It really was. I mean, you got Chris Middleton also was a little bit of a head scratch. Like he's been good, but I don't think he Buck should have had two this year. I think Giannis was a good chance to win the MVP. He may or may not. That's another discussion for another day, but I don't know if his sidekicks deserve it. In general, I think it's a little bit harder for a guy like Allen who as you said, he has the show-stopping plays with like the dunks and stuff, but is makes a huge impact defensively, especially for the Cavs. It's hard for that to be recognized in an All-Star uh, game type of role. Also, on the if you look at the Eastern Conference reserves, like no big men essentially. You know, Middleton and Tatum being probably the tallest people named to the reserves. Um, so that's that's just an interesting thing, I guess. Outside of the main event at All-Star Weekend, it was also announced that Isaac Okoro and Evan Mobley were selected to the Rising Stars Challenge this year. New format for that challenge, played as a mini-tournament between four teams of seven, including four players from the G League Ignite. Okoro and Mobley will be playing together for Rick Barry's team. Um, obviously, pretty low stakes in that game, but sometimes a fun event. Yeah, and I'm glad you, I'm glad it's called a challenge because that's absolutely what this is. Because I read the rules and I still have absolutely no idea what's going on or what these uh, iconic shot recreation things are. You can't recreate. You can hit shots from spots, but you can't recreate the circumstance. So it's kind of weird because these aren't happening at the sites they originally did. Like if you could have somehow like pre-filmed it and gotten to Air Canada Center. And I've renamed it a couple times, actually. I couldn't tell. It might be Scotiabank. It might have been renamed again. But regardless, in Toronto, where Kawhi hit his shot, I'd love to see that happen in the arena. So that part I just don't get. <laughs> but I think it'll be cool. I think uh, this is better for Okoro. I think he can dominate if he's not being guarded by really good guys. And if they give him space, he can hit jump shots. Look, his percentages aren't good, but he can make threes if he's wide open. I mean, it's... 
all but I think one or two of his makes from deep this year have been wide open because they just don't want to guard him, uh, respectfully so. But for Evan Mobley, I mean, watch out. It, it sometimes looks like he gets his baskets with ease, but and he's not even muscular yet. And the way he posts people up in actual games is just so impressive to me. I think this is great for the two of them. I think it's good for Okoro because you only get two years of eligibility for these events. I'm glad they switched away from World versus USA because mm-hmm. we saw some awful players get in the last couple of years that had no business being there. So I think it'll be cool for them, and I hope that uh, Isaac Okoro can learn some free throw advice. Same with Evan Mobley from Rick Barry because Mobley started the year 80% for the first month. He's in the 60s now. Isaac is hit or miss at the line, but I don't trust him. So maybe Rick Barry can teach them something about free throws. You think he can convince them to go to the underhand? <laughs> well, if they'll accept either Rick or Canyon as their legal middle name for him or his son, then I think maybe. Or if they'll take Barry as a last name, Isaac Okoro Barry or Evan Barry Mobley. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other big event coming up next week is the trade deadline. To what extent do you think the Cavs might be buyers at that deadline? Well, I can tell you for the first time in years, we are not sellers. No, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, the other good thing about this year is we're not sitting a guy six weeks ahead of the deadline just to make sure he doesn't get hurt, only to buy him out at the end of all that. Uh, also, that guy is Andre Drummond. It was two years ago from February 6th, our day of recording, that they first acquired him. So very funny how his view has changed around the league and around my, around my own mind and Cavs fans' minds and Pistons fans and Lakers fans in the last two years. A lot has changed. But I think we'll definitely be buyers. My only thing, and everyone I've spoken with, I've had several different guests on my podcast over the last month to talk trades, and we haven't really had a discussion on who we're going to trade to get these pieces. Mm. And I still don't know who, because I, the, the chemistry they've built, I would hate to see anybody traded. Like, please don't trade Dean Wade. Keep Lamar Stevens. Even Jetty Osman is most likely guy to be moved if they move someone, force guys and not just picks. It's, it's going to be hard to, to see that happen. So, I mean, I think we'll be buyers. You know, some names to watch are Terrence Ross, Gary Harris. You know, a lot of people have eyes on Eric Gordon, uh, Justin Rowan of Chase Down. Uh, we had him on Thursday of, of last week. This would be February 3rd. He was big on Karis LeVert, who proceeded mm-hmm. to drop 42 points, including 20 on just one miss in the first quarter in Indy's last game. So he's an option as well. I think we're going to have to wait and see. Um, I really, and the reason I've talked about it so much on Across the Cavs and not just, well, yeah, on Across the Cavs, but I've had guesses because I really don't know. Like, I, they're not going to trade Dylan Wendler, right? I, I have no idea. We're not trading Kevin Love. You know, is Ed Davis going to be traded? Does anyone want Ed Davis? Does he have trade value along with a first-round pick? Like, we don't have bad contract guys anymore because Kevin Love has finally performed and he should be here at least through the end of this season. So it's it's hard. Like, I want the guys we mentioned. I'd love a Gary Harris or a Terrence Ross or Eric Gordon or LaVert or anybody or a point guard, a buyout market guard maybe, or even a Nick Batum now that the Clippers have all these new forwards. But I, I, I have – no idea what's going to happen, who we're going to trade. And no matter what the Cavs get, it's going to be very sad. If anyone, no disrespect to him, if anyone besides Kevin Pangos is included in a deal. Because <laughs> I love everybody that we have. He's a good teammate. He can't shoot the ball. He's just 
He's not an NBA guard. I'm happy that at age 28, he's able to get his, his chance. It's been really fun to watch him. He started a few games. As a as watch him in garbage time, I saw him once in person when the team was getting blown out. But he's not great, and he's the only guy I would not miss. Anyone else? You'll, you'll get smiles, but we'll need to bust out the tissue box in a heartfelt post, even if they've only played 10 games with us this year, for like some yeah. guys have. I miss Taco, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. So it's been about two and a half months since the last time we've had you on this podcast. And actually, if you remember, during our last recording, as we were speaking, we got the news that Colin Sexton would be having season ending surgery. Hopefully, I mean, nothing like that happens today. God forbid. Please, no. <laughs> My phone is flipped over. I'm not even looking at it. Yeah. And since then, also, we got the news that um, backup point guard Ricky Rubio oh. also went down for the season <laughs> yes. with a torn ACL. So the Cavs have had to use some stopgap options to fill the holes that those two uh, injuries have created, which have included, among others, Rajon Rondo, two-way player Brandon Goodwin, and even sometimes using Jetty Osman as a de facto. But... Uh, I guess, how would you assess uh, or rank maybe all those options that the Cavs have employed? Wait, we just got Karis LeVert. <laughs> what? what happened again? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> breaking news. God, you just have to come on the show for breaking news to happen. That's <laughs> Yo, this is crazy, man. What just happened? What do we trade? All right. Well, okay, I'll talk about this while we wait for the next Woj tweet. This is yeah. crazy. Um, I, I like Branton Goodwin. I don't know. Hopefully, neither of those guys were just included in the trade. <laughs> uh, Rajon Rondo's been fun to watch. I have seen him miss some questionable threes in late games. The Knicks game a few weeks ago. Some other times, shooting's been down. But man can pass. He can drive the lane. Sure, he's 37, but... Uh, so, Lauren, I'm 26, and the reason I say that is I remember 10, 11 years ago stepping out in my backyard, and I still try. I can't do this in-game yet, and no matter how much I'll play pickup. My favorite move in basketball that I that I can even try and mimic, take my right hand, ball's in my hand, fake a, fake a pass, tuck the ball on my hip, look off, and then just scoop it in at the basket. You know, the Rondo special. Yep. And so... I've liked having him. I mean, that move has always been cool to me. It's always something I've practiced. And so just to now see him in a Cavs jersey he's great. And I, by complete coincidence, I had forgotten. I wore my Celtics Rondo player tee the day after he was acquired. Just pure coincidence. Honestly, I'd forgotten that we got him. And, oh, here's the package. We have the package of the trade. I'll finish on Goodwin, then I'll give that, and then we'll get back to what mm-hmm. we we're going to talk about. Good one I like. He, he brings a lot to the table. I think he's very talented. I think I remember it was odd. He had an interesting take. He mentioned something about having to get the vaccine, almost ruining his career because it ended up leading to he didn't have he had adverse effects. The Hawks released him. And so his season ended early. So no opinion on his take, but the fact that he's able to get back in the league this year that he has the chance in Cleveland because everybody is, is contracting the virus. Thankfully, almost every NBA player is fully recovered. I don't know anybody mm-hmm. that's having long-term effects from this year's getting a Mo Bamba did during the bubble, so he didn't play. 
but it's really cool that he's back. I think he, he brings a lot and I really have enjoyed him. I don't know that he has a role for the playoffs in the, in the chase uh, with, with Garland on the court, but man, he, he plays, he's a great Twitter follow and he works his, his tail off to, to get better every night. So I, I have a lot of respect for Brandon Goodwin. Yep. And as you alluded to, we just got the full extent to the Woj bomb. The Cavs are sending back t- to the Pacers. Ricky Rubio's expiring contract, a lottery protected 2022 first round pick, and then two second round picks. So uh, any instant reaction, I guess? This is good, man. I mean, I hope we can still re-sign Ricky Rubio next year if he wants to come back. I think if he's healthy, he's obviously not getting moved. But, I mean, this is great. We have a, we have another creator. Sure, he's a little inconsistent. My number one choice, believe it or not, had been Gary Harris. Obviously not a popular choice. He's not as versatile. But we get a guy that can create. He has playoff experience from Brooklyn. He dropped 50 in the bubble. He's got a lot of talent. He'll have good nights. He'll have bad nights. But finally, I talked about Darius carrying too much weight. Well... Finally, he can hang out with somebody else on the court, hang out, just play alongside, having a good time winning games by by that is what I mean. And he's got Karis, so I like it a lot. You know, I'm in New Jersey, as a lot of folks know. And if I didn't mention on the first uh, time I was with you guys, I'm not in Cleveland. So I've been, I've seen Karis in person a lot in Brooklyn. And I'm happy for him. And now what I honestly hope is that, when he gets his physical, there's nothing scary because the last time he got mm-hmm. traded, not that long ago last year, where they found uh, a tumor in his kidney, a cancerous tumor, and they're able to get it out. He's able to get treatment and come back pretty quickly. So I really hope we don't find anything. You never know, and this isn't something to joke about. But it, with, with it happening within the last year, we just hope he passes, he's healthy, and I mean, he can score 20 some nights. He can score 30 some nights. And I mean, it is going to be tough now, though. Lauren, because both of my fantasy teams are very competitive this year, <laughs> and now I have an extra Cav to worry about when I'm, when I'm playing against, when I'm watching them. But <laughs> this is great. I'm excited. Yeah. He has the ex- existing connection with Allen, too, I guess. Yeah, that's right. From Brooklyn. I, that's crazy how many avenues it, it can take right off the bat. When yeah. like you forget this, you know this. But What, what are your thoughts on, on the deal? You think it'll help us? Yeah, I mean, as you said, like, it'll take some of the scoring load off of Garland. I mean, we talked about last time we had you on that it, it, it is already kind of a very shared load, but um, with a lot of the creation responsibilities falling on Garland, especially with the, uh, the two other point guards being out with injuries. So I think it's going to help a lot. Um, and, you know, in such a crowded East, like any leg up you can give yourself you know, could be important come playoff time. Oh, yeah. Another reference to last episode, you were talking about the possibility of the three seven-footer lineup since Lowry Markkinen hadn't played a lot of games up until that point. But you were talking about that lineup possibility with excitement, and uh, since then it's worked extremely well. I personally don't necessarily put too much weight into these like mid-season lineup type uh, analyses. Just pointing out that the two most used four-man units for the Cavs in terms of minutes played both include the trio of Markin and Allen and Mobley, and then the fourth player being Garland, 
or Okoro in those. And those have both been extremely successful with net ratings over plus 13. Again, like in an era where most teams tend to be going smaller, if anything, what do you think it is about the versatility or the dynamics of that three seven footer lineup that makes it effective for the Cavs? Yeah, so I think the best thing it does, and this is rare, I didn't watch every Bulls game, so this might sound a little cut and dry and maybe broad, but I do think it. I do find it to be true from when I did watch him. Larry Markkinen is a seven footer that was never a shot blocker. Anyone mm-hmm. that's seven feet and doesn't average at least a block to me, it's either a a waste of height or b it's three things: a waste of height sometimes, b they're not being used right, or c they don't use it to their advantage. And so I think it was a case of all three. He is a natural four, and he'll play some four. But I think the guys he was covering, he was always on the perimeter, always. Guys wouldn't drive on him. They'd they, they, they do some kind of crazy move and get a bucket based on how small the league is. And I think when he got to Cleveland and started playing small forward, he was guarding guys that would have to beat him one-on-one. They'd have to shoot over him from all over, whereas fours are really only shooting threes. We're not... The, the most heavily contested shots are usually the mid-range attempts, and that's what he's guarded so well, You know, whether it's been the games guarding KD or guarding, you know, sometimes uh, we think of other teams, maybe even Indiana, if he's trying to guard, not as t- – I mean, he had to guard Levert when they when they played, right? You know, other talented perimeter guys. I think as a small forward for him, he's been able to really kind of come into his own defensively and sure, he's not scoring a ton, but he's, he can get you 20. He can hit timely shots. He'll give you a couple, a bucket or two every quarter, pretty much, guaranteed, even on his worst nights, 12 to 14. And they're timely. And he got the game-winning three to beat OKC a while back, and I had somehow predicted that he'd have the winner that night. And I somehow ended up being the goal, the game decider. There was a one-possession game, turned two, with the shot clock off. I like him a lot, and I think when you put him with two rim-protecting mobile bigs, Lauren. I think you scare teams. You go at them, even if they're ready for the fight. Not many teams have figured us out. Cavs are 32-21, and 21, and that includes a five-game streak without their bigs, so they're really 32-16. and 16. You can look at the game Rubio got hurt, where they would have won with him. It didn't play. That's a loss that probably should have been a win. You could, in a hypothetical, you could subtract that. I mean, the games he lost without Garland by one, two points. Another case like that, should have beaten the Warriors up 15 going into the fourth, blew that. The Cavs have apparently, I didn't know this, they've lost 12 games when leading by double digits, which tells me that they've only ever not been in games in any capacity and what, like seven out of 43, seven out of 53. Mm-hmm. Like they're scary. And I think it's all the bigs. I think it's great to see Isaac in that lineup because he looked like the odd Cav out when the season first began and everyone was on the court. With the guys we had, the minutes he was going to play were going to dwindle, which is really bad in his second year after the role he had last season. I think his confidence has stayed up. I think he's made great strides. And, I mean, having the three bigs is good. I think we could put a lot of stock into the lineup how it is now. we got less than 30 games to go. We're 32 and 21, hopefully 33. Now, with Levert getting traded, that's more. that actually makes it easier to win today because <laughs> Karras won't be there on the other side. So, I mean, they've looked great. And if we do beat the Pacers, and folks, when you hear this, this will again probably be after the game is final. 
will be 33 and 21. This will be the most wins the Cavs have had without LeBron since 13 14 when they went 33 and 49. And if you want to find more wins than that without King James, you have to go back to their very random playoff appearance of 97 98. We went 47 and 35. Four of the top eight guys were rookies, including Big Z, Cedric Henderson. And I mean, this is just special. They're still young, so they're doing it with young guys again. But I'm I'm happy as a Cavs fan. I've been enjoying everything this year. Just playing pure devil's advocate. Um, is there any concern? I guess that some of the regular season success might be due to you know in the regular season teams aren't game planning game to game, and then the Cavs are employing such a novel like three big men lineup that teams aren't used to. Whereas come playoff time with the ability to like specifically game plan for every single situation it may not be as effective i think that's to be determined because mm-hmm. thinking about the calves it's pretty much just how do we key in on darius tonight how can we key in on allen they're not they can't game plan for every single player which is what's made them good i mean the thing is look at the calves defensively they're gonna get to do the same thing to other teams as well whoever they yeah. draw in the first round and it is I think we're one four or five game winning streak away from definitively avoiding the plan. It's still not mm-hmm. a lock given how deep the East has been. But, you know, you look at things and you could say that about any team, to be completely honest. Although I get why we're talking about the Cavs with a lot of inexperience in series. It'll be Garland's first appearance in the playoffs. I think Allen's second. It'll be Karras's third. No, wait. They lost in the playing. All right, uh, second. He'll be his second. They won't have Rubio. It'll be Rondo's 15th, seemingly. Mobley's yeah. first. Lowry's first. So, yeah, they're young. And the same could be said about their coach, who did get in a, uh, with the Rockets and Grizzlies as uh, an associate head coach and once as the interim head coach. There's a lot to worry about. I think they'll game plan for us. We'll game plan for them. They may knock it out of the first round. They may get to the conference finals. Who knows? But mm-hmm. I don't think teams having extra time to plan for the Cavs will make it any easier to beat them because the thing that makes them so dangerous is that we've got now with getting Levert, you could take the pressure off Osman and Love. Although he'll probably he'll probably start, so it'll move Isaac to the bench. That's my guess. It'll be Darius and Karis. It's kind of rhymes. Levertland, mm-hmm. Vertland, Vertland. There we go, Vertland. Um, <laughs> So take the pressure off Darius now, and they're not going to have that much tape to, to follow us because I don't know when. Lowry's not coming back until after the All-Star break, so for now you'll probably have Levert and Okoro starting together. And so when you consider everything here, they're only going to have 15 games of tape probably to watch. We don't know if we're going to win game to game, but we do it. Good, good one playing. It's Ron- Rondo missed six games in the middle of his acquisition, and they were fine. So... And some nights, Windler, Wade, Stevens get spot minutes. I don't know if that'll still be the case now with Levert. But you you don't know because if we're not playing well, he'll go deep in the bench. He'll pull someone in. They'll give a few good minutes and turn the tide. Lamar Stevens has done that before. Windler's capable of that. Jetty, some nights will play 15 minutes. Some nights will play 35, no matter who's healthy. So he'll, he'll ride the hot hand. Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff is incredible. I mean, he's second in coach of the year voting. We just need the Suns to lose a few more games to, for him to move up in the, in the voting. Uh, Typico Sportsbook has them as second. And so, you know, if you're in New Jersey, Ohio, be in Iowa soon, 
Check them out. Not for Cavs fans in Ohio. You can't do that yet. But if you're trying to bet on it. But, I mean, JB, and I'm sure in all the other books as well, is right near the top. I mean, I would give it to him over Monty because the Suns did this last year too. Coach of the Year voting is very uh, narrative-based. And that being said, it's JB's to lose, but he's been great. I mean, also just learned, and I'll end this, I'll end with this, JB is not Bernie Jr., it's John Blair. I was shocked when I saw that. I always thought he was Bernie Jr., and that's why he went by JB. I was shocked when I learned that the other day. I actually never looked into what JB stood for before. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just won Eastern Conference Coach of the Month for January as well. Cavs going 11-4 and four in the month, just losing to the Rockets to begin February. A shout out to the my my Rockets there, but uh, I guess that was without Garland and Lowry. Yes. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code TBPN, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the red line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. This is Andrew Schleck from Down to Dunk and Daily Thunder, and you're listening to On the NBA Beat. Yeah, again, a lot has changed since mid-November since we had you on, (laughs) but another poll quote I remembered from last episode was that I I think you were trying to hedge your expectations and not get too excited over their hot start and saying that you you thought it would be unlikely that they would be a top six team by the time the year was over. Um, but given their sustained success this far into the season, as we've crossed the official halfway point, and even despite a lot of injury trouble, as we've discussed before, um, have your expectations changed uh, in terms of making it past the first round? And then speaking about the first round, you know, when you had Aaron on, across the Cavs a couple of weeks ago, you were just discussing with him about worrying, I guess, first round potential first round opponent. And you mentioned that you might be most scared of uh, facing the Bucks first and just wanted to hear some more reasoning about that. <clears throat> yeah. So I think I mentioned the Bucks, the Hawks and the Celtics because and I'll, I'll quickly do the last two. Then it's, this is more about the Bucks. I don't want to see the the Jays. Whoever the Celtics have left at the end of this week, they're still going to be lethal. They got mm-hmm. Big Rob. They have 
elite wing play. They defend well. They've got young talent. They have Josh Richardson, who went from being a star in the making in Miami to cast off by three teams now. So in Miami, <clears throat> Dallas, and Philadelphia, riding the bench, pretty much just Marcus Smart off the bench. So they're scary. I don't want to play them, especially if they get hot because they have to win in the play-in first. Atlanta, they had won six straight. If they get in at all, I do not want anyone to see them. So what? They traded Cam Reddish. They got Trey. They got veterans like Bogdan and Gallo. They got John Collins. They got Clint Capella. They got defense in a lot of positions, and they're very well coached. We're not going to see a Nate McMillan effect where he's only good in his first year and then bad again. That's not what this is. Don't want to see them. And Milwaukee, I say this as the night I was actually at Nets Nuggets, the Cavs blew out the Bucks. I don't know what happened because I didn't get a chance to watch the game. Everyone that was telling me said I missed a clinic. I certainly did, and I also got to watch DeMarcus Cousins get ejected, Nikola Jokic play well, and Austin Rivers make seven threes. So I, I, still, think, I still think I had a good night of basketball. The Bucks are scary, even though we beat them that night. Giannis is unguardable. I don't care what you say. I don't care if anyone if he has a bad game. It's not it's not how he's being guarded. It's because he just has a bad game. He shoots jumpers now. He puts up the same numbers as he did as well. Inside, outside, rebounds, steals, blocks, assists. Like literally, just give him MVP and DPOI every year because he deserves it more than anyone else that's going to get it, except for Jokic maybe this year. If anyone else, like if people tell if you tell me Embiid's a better player than either of them, I'd say they're crazy. That's why I'm not scared of the Sixers, because it's just him. And if he has a bad game, that's an L. And he's not going to be good every game. And they have no serious number two option that plays well under pressure. None. I don't care that Matisse Tybal is the best defender, top five in the league, maybe. doesn't matter to me. But getting back to the Bucks, you got Chris Middleton. He hits all the big shots. I don't, even when he's in the finals, he had fourth quarters. He'd make five, six baskets after going like two for 13 coming in. It's just he gets to his spot and he's unguardable with that. Almost kind of, it's kind of like Chris Paul has a mid-range shot. Chris Middleton, twenty feet out, gets to his area. Drew Holiday always makes big plays. So what if he misses some key free throws every now and then? He makes big stops. The way he forced the ball away in the finals and then lobbed it to Giannis. I mean, that's what he's about. He's overcome a lot in his NBA career. You know. His wife had had that brain tumor back when he was in New Orleans. He had to he took time off from the game, took a couple months. Thankfully, she was okay. They have kids together now. A shout out Warren Holiday, great soccer player. And and he came back. I, I I'd probably say with a renewed sense of, of 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 will to win after that. Whether it was in New Orleans or now in Milwaukee, he's been great for them. He's clearly happy there. They have all their money tied up in him, Giannis, and Chris. That's the best trio in the league. We're never going to touch that as a Cavs fan base. The Nets big three does not touch that. With what all three guys do and their two-way impact, find me another team in history that had three dominant two-way players as their big three. I don't think we can. Now you had Bobby Portis spreading you out, hitting the ridiculous number of threes. They haven't had Brooke Lopez this year. They don't even have a backup center anymore, and it means nothing because he just plugged Giannis there. I hate Grayson Allen. I really, really do, and I didn't until the Alice Caruso incident. I looked Mm -hmm. past the other ones because they were never as bad, but this is horrible. I really wish that the Bucs didn't say what they did, that he didn't even deserve it, that one game. They're built well. They have our old friend Rodney Hood who probably wants his – whatever team he's on to beat the Cavs after he did not like his playoffs there, but they're scary. The Bucks are scary. They have depth. They got shooters on the wing, you know, like Connaughton, Jordan Wara, 
Wes Matthews can lock down Levert probably for a short stretch, even at his advanced age of 37. They have DiVincenzo, who's all NBA caliber, if he could play a full season with 30 minutes. I don't see a weakness, and they're going to have Lopez back in the playoffs, even if he's only playing 15. He was incredible last year when they needed him to be. And when he was out, you put in Bobby. This is a scary team. I don't care. They don't have PJ. I don't know how we beat them. I could be wrong because I said the Cavs weren't this. And then on October 1st, I said we were 12 seed in November, end of the month, maybe even early December. I said we're not even a top six. So don't take my word for it, I guess. But the Bucks are the team I'm the most scared of. More than Miami, more than Chicago, more than anyone else in the conference. Anyone. I guess with the Eastern Conference so bunched up, there's basically almost any possible matchup in the first round or even beyond the first round is within the realm of possibility currently sunday afternoon again recording this two games separating the first seed and the fifth seed and that and then even going beyond that sixth seed you have the nets who've just been on terrible side lately um but after the nets raptors and celtics and 10th seed hawks being the some of the hottest teams in the conference recently since the new year um, so, yeah, by the end of the season, what? who knows how that could shake out. Watch out for Toronto, I would say, too. They they need to do something at the deadline because they cannot play the, every all five starters 38, 40 minutes a game. I know Nurse likes his favorites, but, like, you have to do something. You have to do something or they're not going to make it. They're going to all collapse at the same time in the play-in, and they're going to have to go to the guys that haven't been touching the court for all 48 minutes, literally. Like, give them a break, please. I like him. I like them. But they're also scary, but not without a bench. So that's my case. Yeah. Just to close out this episode, I want to talk again about Kevin Love and the rejuvenation of a season that he's having this year. Um, Some people are putting his name into contention for the Sixth Man of the Year Award. Now, a lot of the times that award is solely determined by, you know, the points per game leader. Uh, among bench players so under that consideration it would probably go to Harrow but um, what would you give to him in terms of odds or uh, say about his campaign there well I'll say that Tyler Hero is very hard to beat in this because he has been unreal all season I don't know if he's going to end up starting enough games to be disqualified. I really hope that becomes the case because if it is, it becomes a wide open race, probably led by Kevin Love himself. I think he's second or third in the odds voting on my last check within the last week. Also at Typico, shout out Typico, of course. Um, obviously, you check DK or FanDuel or Action Network, wherever they probably have the same. He's up there. He's been fantastic this year. He brings a lot to the table as a shooter, as a score. He's only started two games and there's no matter what happens the rest of the year, even if he becomes a starter the rest of the way, hypothetically, he'll still qualify with 43 bench appearances. He's been awesome, Lauren. He's hitting his shots. He's getting to his spots. If I wanted to make a bad rhyme, I'd start it with that verse. <laughs> um, but he's been, he's been a joy. Renewed positivity. You know, he's clear he's happy again there. And people thought, oh, he wants to be in New York somewhere else because he does live in this in Manhattan often. And I'm sure when he officially marries Kate Bach within the next year that they'll have a they'll have a full time place in New York if they don't already, in addition to Ohio or wherever else. So I'm sure he's gonna continue to spend time there. But it's clear he's happy in Cleveland. 
He's embraced it. They joked that I was hoping they'd call me uncle, but they call me grandpa now. (laughs) (laughs) Him and his gray hair in his 30s. He's not the only one out there that's gray-haired in their 30s, but he's got talent. He can score. He's swung games for us. And, I mean, the best thing about Kevin Love is, and if we play the box, he's going to have to kind of be the Chris Middleton, not where he's going to put the ball on the floor a lot. But I just see Chris Middleton as a guy. You can guard him if you want. Quick fake, and then he gets his shot because he has the space and the quick release. Kevin Love's fake. The guy always flies by, gets a lot of buckets like that. I just think in the Middleton fact, I think it's his craftiness. It's his quickness, and he doesn't always have to leave the spot. He catches the ball to get his basket, even if it takes a few seconds to get the attempt up. So love what he's brought. Hope he wins the award, but I don't think we're going to get enough love for Kevin <laughs> to get this award, unfortunately. If there was a runner-up, he'd be it. So, Zach, again, it's always a pleasure to have you on to talk Cavs. Apparently, it's Whenever we have you on, breaking news is always going to drop. So uh, maybe we can do it again sometime soon. Yeah, let's let's not do it on February 10th when the deadline's happening because I can't imagine <laughs> what's going to happen if we combine these two things of the, the actual trades and then the unexpected ones that happen because you're with me. Yeah. So let's keep me off for a bit until until transactions can stop. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks again to Zach Weiss, whom you can hear more from on the Across the Cavs podcast, which will be hitting its 100th episode milestone next week. So be sure to tune in for that episode. Your host for this edition of On the NBA Beat was me, Lauren Lee Chen, with editing and production by my co-host, Aaron Fishman. To find more basketball opinions from our show, you can follow us on Twitter at On the NBA Beat and the hosts at Lauren L. Chen and at By Aaron Fish, respectively. As always, thank you to all the fans who took the time to listen and especially to those who take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show by searching On the NBA Beat wherever podcasts are found. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.